All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to Cozy Cryptic Podcast. I'm your host Tanner. In this episode, we're talking about plushies. Yeah, I love them. And I'm gonna tell like a little bit about stuffed animals and tell a couple of stories and tell you about how you can go place to pick up some cryptid plushies. How about that? Sounds pretty cool. Uh, how you doing? By the way, doing good. Alrighty, so plushies, um, pretty, pretty cool. You know, like the Stife companies started making stuffed animals back in like 1850s, I think. And we also have that story of, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt saving the bear and the, he made a cartoon out of it and, uh, company made stuff stuff uh animal bear out of it and that's how we get the teddy bear that's pretty cool right but you know because we have like rag like the voodoo dolls and stuff and you have like little dolls and stuff all the way back from like 300 bc and stuff like making out vegetables and whatnot Back the Gypsons, and of course they have like little uh, little figurines of the Gypsy gods and stuff. That's pretty cool. But yeah, can't really find much about stuffed animals like paranormal wise. Oh wait, there's like dolls and stuff that are like haunted and stuff, like Annabelle and Henry, and there's a bunch of others. Because yeah, like the Island of the Dolls. I think we talked about that before in Mexican one of the episodes in of Mexico. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Like paranormal wise, like nothing really crazy. Like nothing like really folklorey, like cryptids. There's really like a cryptid or anything about that in that sense with them. You know, plushies, you know. But, um, I did find some cool stories, like creepy, creepy pastas, and I wanted to read you about them. I'll read just a quick one, real quick, and I'll tell you about this cool one, this cool place to get some cryptid plushies. Alrighty, here we go. This is, um, the story is called Ichbar Bidgelstein. It was written September 19th, 2012 by, uh, Stephanie D. Harris. Okay, here we go. When I was a small child, I was terrified of the dark. I still am. But back when I was around six years old, I couldn't go 
a full night without crying out for one of my parents to search beneath my bed or in my closet for whatever monster I thought was waiting to eat me. Even with a night light, I would still see a dark shape moving around the corner of the room or strange faces looking in on me from my bedroom window. My parents would do their best to console me, tell me that it was just a bad dream or a trick of the light. But in my young mind, I was positive that the second I fell asleep, the bad things would get me. Most of the time, I would just hide under the blankets until I became tired enough to stop worrying. But every now and then, I would become so panicked that I would run screaming into my parents' room, waking up my brother and sister in the process. After an ordeal like that, there'd be no way anyone would be getting a full night's rest. Eventually, after one particularly traumatizing night, my parents had, a, had, had enough. Unfortunately for them, they understood the futility in arguing with a six-year-old and knew that they would be unable to convince me to rid myself of child's fears through reason and logic. You had to be clever. It was my mother's idea to stitch together my little bedtime friend. She collected a large assortment of random pieces of fabric and her sewing machine and created what I would later refer to as Mr. Ickbar Bittelstein, or Ick for short. Ick was a sock monster, as my mother called him. He was made to keep me safe while I slept at night by scaring away all the other monsters. He was pretty damn creepy, I had to admit. Honestly, looking back on all now, I'm so impressed that my mom could think of something so strange and disturbing looking. Ekbar had the stitched together look of a Frankenstein gremlin with big white button eyes and floppy cat ears. His little arms and legs were made from a pair of my sister's black and white striped socks and the half of his face that was green was made from one of my brother's tall football socks. His head could have been described as a bulbous and for his mouth my mom attached a piece of white fabric and sewed in a zigzag pattern to shape a wide grin of a sharp teeth. I loved him at once. From then on, Ick never left my side. So long as it was after dusk, of course, Ick didn't like the sun and would get upset if I tried to bring him to school from, with me. But that was okay. I only needed him at night to keep away the boogeyman, which is what he was good at. So every night at bedtime, Ick would tell me where the monsters were hiding, and I would place him near the sections of my room closest to the spookiness. If there was something in the closet, Ick would block the door. If there was a dark creature scratching at my window, Ick would be pressed up against the glass. If there was a big hairy beast under my bed, then under the bed he went. Sometimes the monsters weren't even in my room. Sometimes they would hide in my dreams, and Ikbar would have to come with me into my nightmares. It was fun bringing Ick into my dream world, as he and I would spend hours fighting off ghouls and demons. The best part was, in my dreams, Ick could talk to me for real. 
How much do you love me? He would ask. More than anything, I would always tell him. One night in a dream, after I lost my first tooth, Egg asked me for a favor. Can I have your tooth? I asked him why. To help me kill the bad things, he said. Next morning, at breakfast, Mom asked me where my tooth went. From what she told me, the tooth fairy didn't find it under my pillow. When I told her that I gave it to Ichbar, she just shrugged and went back to feeding my little sister. From then on, every time I lost a tooth, I would give it to Ick. He would always thank me, of course, and to tell me that he loved me. Eventually, though, I ran out of baby teeth. I was beginning to get a little too old to still be playing with dolls. So Ick just sat there on the bookshelf collecting dust, slowly fading away from my attention. Over the time, over the time, the nightmares, however, became worse than ever. So bad that they began to follow me to the waking world, terrorizing every dark corner or rustle in the bushes. After one particularly bad night, biking home from a friend's house where I swore a pack of rabbit dogs were chasing me, I got home to find something strange waiting for me in my room. There, on my bed, standing fully upright in the soft glow of the moonlight from my window was Ichbar. At first, I thought my I just thought my eyes were playing tricks on me again. They had been all evening, so I tried to flick on the lights, another flick of the light switch, then another, and another, with no change to the darkness. It was then that I started to get nervous. I backed away slowly towards the door behind me, my eyes never leaving the shape of an X silhouette, my hand awkwardly outstretched behind reaching for a doorknob. I was just about to get my ass out of there when I heard the door slam itself shut, locking me into blackness. In nothing but shadow and silence, I stood frozen in place, not even breathing, for how long I can't say. But after what felt like a lifetime of cold fear, I heard a shrill, familiar voice. You stopped feeding me. So why should I protect you? Protect me from what? Let me show you. I blinked once and everything changed. I wasn't in my bedroom anymore. I was somewhere else. It wasn't hell, but the comparison wasn't far off. It was some sort of forest, a horrible, nightmarish place where partial embryonic abortions hung from the canopy and the ground swarmed with cavernous insects. A thick fog wafted through the air and with a stench of rotten meat and with it, the stretch of rotten meat. While chartreuse lightning flashed across the night sky, in the distance, I could hear the agonizing scream of something not quite human. My head throbbed like it was about to explode. The pain forcing out a river of tears in my mind, I heard his voice again. This is what you reality will become without me. I felt earth-shaking footsteps approaching fast. I'm the only one who can stop it. Was behind me now, huge and angry, hot breath across my back. Bring me what I need, and I will. I woke up before I could turn around. The following day, I raided my parents' closet for my brother's baby teeth, giving them all to Ichbar. Almost immediately, night terror ceased, and I was more or less able to go on about my life as normal. 
From time to time, I would have to sneak into my little sister's room and snatch what was meant for the priest fairy, or strangle one of the neighborhood cats and pry out its sharp little incisors. Anything to ward off the visions. Anything from a shark tooth necklace to a cavity ridden by cucibit. I always begin to notice that Ichbar would move about my room whenever I left for any length of time, rearranging my stuff and hanging additional curtains. He was even beginning to look more lifelike somehow. In the right light, his teeth would glisten, and he was warm to the touch. As such, as he creeped me out, as much as he creeped me out, I couldn't work up the courage to just destroy him, knowing perfectly well where that would lead me. So I went on collecting teeth for Ick, for Ick throughout all high school and college. The older I got, the more things I would learn to fear. The more teeth Ick would need to keep need to keep me safe. I'm 22 years old now, with a decent job, my own apartment, and a set of dentures. It's been almost a month since Ick's last meal, and the horrors are starting to crowd around me once more. I took a detour through a parking garage after work tonight. I found a man fumbling with his car keys. His teeth were staring yellow from a lifetime of cigarettes and coffee. Even still, I had to use a hammer and get out the, to get out the molars. When I got back to my apartment, he was waiting for me on a ceiling in the corner, two white eyes and a mouth of razors. How much do you love me? He asked. More than anything, I reply, taking off my coat. More than anything in the world. Whoa, that's a crazy story. This little person, this person's like being this sock puppet teeth. That's nuts, man. How about that? Yeah. Take a quick little break here. And back. Ready. All right. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's your host. Tanner, it's the Cryptic Podcast. You know, just doing a little uh, thing I have want to do real quick. Like I said, I was going to mention you a cool place to pick up some cryptid plushies and stuff, animals and figurines. And that place is at 16% Nation. That is 16, the number 16, nation.com. And you have like cool little on the website right now just looking at my phone right now they have cool little plushies they have like a little fresno nightcrawler plushie and the dark the mothman and a little wendigo and a little bigfoot a little alien a little yeti a little mothman again got a little nessie here a little kraken you know jersey devil all pretty cool all pretty cute we also have a little some figurines here as well little action figures you have the krampus nutcracker little kappa animal toy 
little Bigfoot statue or action figure, a little Mothman figurine, Yeti, and a little Jackalope, Chupacabra, and so he's got some clothes and stuff. He got some. Got some t-shirts and for the Mothman, Fresno, Yeti, and Loch Ness. Got some Bigfoot sweatshirts and hoodies. Got some patches as well for the Mothman, Fresno, and Loch Ness, and some stickers. Some Bigfoot stickers. And if you want, you can use, like code but I'm like, like ask me to fill out actually tell you this code real quick I can get to it but I don't really need it but if you want to save some money maybe it works maybe don't I think it's so um you know, I don't really need it's going here and it's like they want me to do like affiliate stuff but I don't really need it so I just want to tell you guys save some money uh, I think there's a code he sent me I'm trying to think not sure anyway you can you know Maybe say some find a code somewhere. User, say some money. If I have code, I can't find a code in the messages that mean, but okay. Oh uh, yeah, use new Bigfoot. Yeah, use new Bigfoot code new Bigfoot to get ten percent off your order at sixteen percent nation dot com. That is N E W B I G F O O C New Bigfoot for ten percent off your order at sixteen percent nation.com. Pick up a cool plushie of your favorite cryptid, cool t-shirt to go with it, maybe some stickers and patches for your cryptid lover and your family or yourself. Pretty cool. And I'll be back. Take another quick break. And as we're going to get into a longer story. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
Alrighty. Okay, we're back, everybody. Hello, welcome back. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Cozy Cryptic Podcast. And you check out 16%nation.com. Get your favorite plushie of your favorite cryptid. And using code NEWBIGFOOT for 10% off that order. Like I said before, this quick little break we had, we're going to talk about one more story and wrap it up. This story is called Seven Things in a Spanish Man's Bag. Written in February 12th of 2022 by Jordan Epperson. And here we go. November 16th, 1998, 7.42 p.m. The sun was set as the old heavy beard along the beaten roads. Over the cliff to the right was what looked like a 100-foot drop. It was nerve-wracking. For occupants of the blue 1993 Chevy Blazer, but the view was beautiful, shopping waters of the Pacific Ocean. A storm was rolling in and the winds were rolling were beginning to cause the car to rock back and forth. This made the driver, Vicky, nervous. Vicky was a tall 24-year-old brunette woman from the suburbs of Cincinnati. She had never traveled out west before and wasn't sure what to expect. She had decided to take her friend Becca up on her offer to visit her parents' vacation home. According to Becca, it was a huge stone building overlooking the sea, complete with a fully stocked bar, hot tub, and private trails leading down to the ocean. Vicky, Becca, and their friend Paul, sitting in the passenger seat, had talked about this trip as it were a certainty since the 10th grade. Becca had not been there in over nine years, but she had spent a summer there as a child and had romanticized it ever since. According to Becca, her grandparents had previously owned the home but had been dead for years. The estate was left to her parents, who kept it but hadn't decided to do much of anything with the property. Okay. Vicky had her doubts about how much fun they would really have. The group had managed to stay in touch since graduation. But over the past couple of years, the relationships between the three of them have started to feel less natural and more like a responsibility. Like weeding the garden. You love the garden and you, you and it brings you happiness. But after a couple of summers, the thought of pulling the entire fucking mess out of the ground becomes more tempting. Temptation had become stronger than ever over the past few months. Planning for a trip fell into full swing. Three years ago, Becca's drinking had become concerning. Now, that concern had grown to a life-consuming addiction. There was a reason Becca was in the back seat. Six months earlier, she wrecked her car into a playground. A woman and child were nearly killed. The mother saw it coming. She grabbed the child and pulled him out of the way. Unfortunately, the German Shepherd had to be sacrificed in place of the kid. Becca spent four days in jail and lost her license. Oh my god. That's awful. 
The wind blew hard. The car rocked back and forth, and Vicky took deep breaths to try to keep the thought of swerving off the cliff out of her mind. How much further, man? said Vicky. About a mile, I think. It should be on the right, replied Paul. It's looking pretty nasty. Trust me. Or where we're going is the safest place to be out here. This place is solid. It's on top of the cliff, so it's safe from flooding, said Becca from the back seat. I'm not worried, said Vicky. Well, you'd look worried, said Paul, laughing. The only thing I'm worried about are these crazy-ass roads and the wind trying to blow us off this cliff, said Vicky. <clears throat> the rain began to fall. Drip, drip. All at once, it poured. It became nearly impossible to see. Vicky slowed the car to a jogger's pace. A huge gust of wind barreled in from the ocean, pushing the car against the cliffside. A driver's side wind mirror was ripped off the car and the jagged rocks tore into the metal of the door. The back window burst and the shards of glass flew into Becca's face and cut her forehead. Vicky corrected by jerking the wheel to the right and leveled the car out, breathing heavily in panic. Vicky brought the car to a stop. He sat in the silence for what seemed like a full minute. It was only a couple of seconds before Vicky looked back and spoke. Is everyone okay? Yes, said Paul. I'm not, said Becca in a trembling voice. Vicky and Paul turned to look in the back seat and saw Becca's bloody forehead. Becca was removing a shirt from a gym bag to stop the bleeding. Oh my God, said Vicky. Paul, I'm using your shirt, said Becca. Becca, with her hands trembling, pressed the t-shirt to her head. How much farther? Acts 50. We should be there. It'll be on our right, Paul answered, looking at his map. There it is, said Becca, squinting her eyes wet with blood. 8 o'clock p.m. Off in the distance, hidden by the silhouette of towering cottonwood trees, you could see the giant house. Vicky put the car into drive and got back on the road. She turned off onto a gravel drive, which led him to the house. All right, when we pull in, let's do this fast, said Paul. Paul opened his door before the car had fully come to a stop. The rain was falling even harder now, and Paul was soaking wet. Before he had both feet planted on the ground, he turned and opened the back door to help Becca out out of her seat. You could see that the blood had run down through her blonde hair and into her eyes. It was safe to say that her vision was more than impaired. Paul had recently become a certified EMT and like most people just entering the medical profession, he was more than eager to put his knowledge to good use. He reached for her hand. I've got it. I've got it. Just grab my bag. House key is in the side pocket. Vicky grabbed hold of her backpack and the three of them ran into the door through the harsh winds and rain. Paul stumbled through the bag trying to find the keys. He yelled over the wind, where are they? In the side pocket? They aren't here. Give it to me, said Vicky. Vicky reached in and pulled out the keys. Paul scoffed a little embarrassed. 
Vicky quickly opened the large oak door and they rushed in to the bone. Rushed in, soaked to the bone. I can't see shit, said Vicky. The switch is on that far wall, said Becca. Paul stumbled around looking for the switch in the dark. Got it. Paul flipped the switch. Nothing happened. The power must be out from the storm. Hand me my backpack, said Becca. She reached into her bag and pulled onto out two flashlights. Always come prepared, she said. Paul took a light and shined it around the room. Holy shit, said Paul. This place is incredible, said Vicky. I told you guys, worth a trip, right? Well, n no, I don't think it was worth this particular drive, but normally I would say yes, said Vicky. Becca laughed. We need a first aid kit, said Paul. I think there's a ba bathroom up those stairs over there. It's the second or third door on your right, said Becca. Paul ran upstairs. We need to lift this shit up. Come on, I'll show you the bar, said Becca. Vicky followed. You sure, you sure you're okay? You think you should be drinking with your head like that? Becca raised an eyebrow at Vicky and cocked a smile out of the corner of her mouth. It was enough to answer Vicky's question. All right, show me the bar, Vicky said in a playful voice. Becca has always found a way to make anything fun. Alcohol was usually a way to get that done quickly. Follow me. It's over here, Becca said. Wiping the remainder of the blood, which was now starting to dry from her forehead. I really don't think it's that bad. I can feel it under my hair. This is a scrape right behind my hairline. Must have nicked a vein. Small cut, a lot of blood. Let's let Paul do his EMT thing. He's all gone ho to help anyone who needs anything right now. He's proud of himself, Vicky said, laughing. BMT is a big accomplishment for him. Yeah, I know. We all know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Two of them walked into the kitchen and pulled a bottle of red wine off the rack. Thanks for coming, said Becca. Of course. Now, we have the age-old predicament of a bottle of wine with no corkscrew. Classic, said Vicky. The two of them began opening drawers and shifting through the rags and silverware. No, I mean it. I need this. You guys are both doing awesome in life, and I'm the one you have to babes. Got it, said Paul as he burst into the room. Night. Thanks, man, said Becca. Boom, corkscrew, said Becca, handing Becky the corkscrew. She began opening the bottle. Sit down, Becca. Paul set a chair out from behind the bar. Becca sat down in the ball, took a seat next to her, began to clean her wound using a small medical kit. Here, Paul. Vicky handed Paul a glass of wine. Thanks. This cut doesn't look too bad, said Paul, as you wiped the last bit of crusty clotted blood blood from the wound that's a relief Becca said not kindly Vicky snickered whatever you guys are dick said Paul seriously though I wouldn't be drinking said Paul I disagree Becca said as she downed her entire glass of wine in one gulp understood said Paul Paul took a drink of his wine come on let's go check out the living room said Becca this place looks like I looks just like how I remember it the living room was enormous, a large fireplace with the head of a grizzly mounted over top. Large glass windows looking out over the sea, the side doors led out to the large patio with a clear view of the cliffs, uncomfortably steep and 
rocky drop. Lightning struck. A bright flash came through the windows. This is awesome, said Vicky. I told you. It took almost a decade to show you guys. Becca walked to the fireplace. The sound of an igniter was heard. Crack, crack, crack. The gas-powered fireplace burst into flames, filling the room with warm light. I had the best summer of my life here. I met this guy who lived down the road. He was 14 and I was 13. His name was James, but for some reason, everyone called him Red. Was he a redhead? Said Axe Paul. No, said Becca. I had my first kiss with him out there on the cliffside. I bet he still lives here, said Vicky. If I lived out here, I would never move, said Paul. Wait till you see it when the sun's up. Hopefully it doesn't rain the whole time we're here. You really never know what you're going to get with a trip to the ocean, said Becca. back <clears throat> 1 17 a.m the three friends drank late into the night laughing and reminiscing until they realized they had become very drunk the rain had not let up once all night the storm over the ocean seemed to be endless paul looked at the clock on the wall and was surprised how fast time had passed vicky was asleep and becca was beginning to nod off herself a bottle of wine still in her hands. Paul reached for a blanket from the gray sofa and a couple of the burgundy throw pillows. He handed them to Becca. Thanks, dude. Yep. Would you rather sleep upstairs in one of the bedrooms? I mean, by yourself, of course, not with me. I just mean you don't look very comfortable. Paul said, Paul, you're a master of making an ass out of yourself. Becca said with a tired, drunken smile, half asleep. Ugh, I know. Paul rose to his feet. He walked over to their patio doors to take a last look at the storm before heading off to bed. He saw that the rain had let up a bit, but the wind was still raging. He decided to step outside. The patio was complete with a rooftop which shielded him from the front of the storm. Light mist that he was getting was very nice. Blowing in his face, it felt refreshing. He unzipped his pants and leaved himself off the balcony. Took a deep breath and listened to the sounds of the giant waves exploding against the rocky walls behind the house. He then noticed a knocking. He looked down and saw a large shadow on the water. It was rocking back and forth. It seemed to be caught on the rocks. Maybe a tree? He thought, no, it's too thick. Paul's mind, being from Ohio, wasn't accustomed to the possibility of actually witnessing a shipwreck in person. He focused his eyes and saw bits of white and a silhouette of something moving on top. A person. They're alive. His exhausted and inebriated brain finally caught up to the situation. Hello, Paul screamed. He heard no answer. He zipped up his pants. Careful and excited not to catch himself in his zipper, he ran inside. People get a certain kind of high from seeing others in peril. Traffic jams are often caused by people slowing down to watch the aftermath of a car accident. Sure, a driver will claim, I'm just slowing down to see if anyone is hurt, as if, as if they are model citizens. In fact, the majority of these slow-moving onlookers are motivated by the urge to see someone else having a worse day than they are. 
ego is a powerful thing it all gets even better if the onlooker gets the opportunity to actually help the person in need proving themselves to be heroic in the eyes of the no doubt dozens of people you were reading the story too guys come here hurry oh my god what dude said vicky half asleep he's drunk vicky go back to sleep said becca i think someone is in trouble out here said paul vicky and becca came outside sluggishly already dismissing paul's claim as a drunken paranoia there said paul i don't see anything replied vicky let your eyes adjust for a second i just just keep looking i see what he's talking about it's right there pekka said there they couldn't see much from their vantage point but they could tell it was a man who's now clinging to the bow of the wrecked lobster boat hey she yelled they were moving all around the place a minute ago we gotta get down there Becca said the winds picked up they could hear a large tree limb break and fall close by i don't think so we should call 911 can't the helicopter out of here in minutes said vicky there's no phone said becca what do you mean asked paul becca sighed this house has been empty for a long time our family doesn't own it anymore my parents said the bank is going to auction it off that's why the power was shut off and that's why there is no phone oh my god becca what the hell is wrong with you said vicky Guys, I just wanted to show you the place where it, before it was gone. This place is full of booze, and I knew it was... I'm sorry, I should have told you. I can't believe you. Do you know how much trouble we can get in? Okay, enough, said Paul. We need to get down there. Can we call from the neighbor's house? Reds or who the hell ever, said Vicky. Yeah, but I'm not even sure I remember exactly how to get there, said Becca. Listen... We gotta get down there. This guy could be crushed against those rocks any second, said Paul. Let's go, said Becca, leading the way. There's a trail on the side of the house. There should be a rope in the garage. The three of them ran down the slick embankment. We could see him clearly now. He stood directly above him. He looked to be about 20 feet down. The man looking to be old, maybe in his 60s. He had gray hair. And a short beard he sported a bit of a gut as well he was dark skinned but not black it was hard to tell in the dark but he looked to be hispanic hello are you conscious yelled paul yes said a man waving his hand in the air we're gonna we're going to throw down a rope can you catch it get out of here he said a huge wave hit the boat and the man grabbed the bow even harder holding on for dear life if he were to slip off the waves would throw him into the rocks hard enough to grind him into pieces you gotta do it now paul hurry said becca paul threw the rope and missed the boat completely and landed in the water it occurred to paul to now that it's, they may be they may still be too drunk to accomplish a rescue he reeled the rope back in took a deep breath focused on his target and with all of his strength tossed the rope it hit the bow the man could eat kind of easily reach for it he almost had he had stunk yes he stuck his hand out and pulled it back resisting the temptation get out of here go the man screamed he slid 
but caught himself in time. What the hell is wrong with this guy? Said Paul. We can't leave him out here, said Vicky. Becca looked around for a path that might lead down to the bottom of the cliff to get them closer. She shined her flashlight down the dark trail. The rain was pouring so hard it was difficult to see more than five or six feet ahead. As light made its way across the path, she could see their area illuminate, except one spot. A spot in the middle of the path that refused to be anything other than a shadow. It was black, darker than shadow even. Becca took a step closer and began to take shape. First, it resembled an animal, a dog maybe. Then it grew taller, being something closer to a tall woman. She could even see a few strays on a large mop of hair. Next, it shrugged down and laid on the ground. Becca walked closer and could see that it was now a solid object. It took a knee. She took a knee. She was looking at a rag doll. The doll was made of burlap and stitched together cruelly with jute twine. It looked heavy, like it was filled with corn or beans instead of stuffing. Hey, said Paul. Becca, we need the light, Paul continued. Becca tried to stand, but suddenly a sharp pain shot through her stomach. She fell to her knees and doubled over it in pain. The voices echoed in her head. The trees began to spin. She could feel herself go cold and pale. Paul and Vicky ran to her. Becca, what's wrong? Asked Vicky. I don't know. Do you hear them? Asked Becca. What? Replied Paul. Becca cringed in pain and doubled over again. She had kept her eyes closed to avoid the sight of the spinning trees. She forced herself to look up and saw the shapes of human figures among the trees. She quickly brought up her light and pointed at the figures. There stood multiple black silhouettes. They were not human. They had no mouth, no eyes. They were blank, expressionless creatures. Becca let out a gut-wrenching scream. What, Becca, what's wrong? Becky said, bailing to her knees to hold Becca. Look, Becca said, grasping the light. Becca, there's nothing there, Paul said softly. Becca looked again. They were gone. You didn't see that? You didn't hear the people? We didn't hear anything, just you screaming, replied Vicky. Suddenly, the pain in Becca's stomach dissipated along with the spinning trees. She stood up. I don't, I don't know what. Becca was interrupted by the sound of a wave breaking and the bassy sound of splintering wood. The three of them quickly made their way back to the cliffside and saw the solution. The situation had become dire. The boat had become broken into two sections, one small section and a large section, which looked as if it would soon split again. A man was clinging to the latter half. We we have to get down there now, said Paul aggressively. Come on. I think I saw a trail to the bottom, said Becca. Becca led him to where she had been seen the shape entered the woods in the same place where she had seen the figures at the, set the edge of a very thin trail it looked like only the deer had kept it from becoming completely overgrown with brush the three of them quickly made their way down the muddy slopes when they met the end of the trail they found themselves looking out onto a cove the ship was now 15 feet in front of them and they could see the man bobbing up and down in the swells paul threw once more, and a rope landed right on the man's chest. 
This time, he only hesitated for a brief second for the primal instinct to stay alive to kick in. He grabbed the rope. Tie it around your chest, Paul shouted. As he brought the rope up, the man, he noticed the man had something big in his hand. Whatever it was, it was making it difficult for him to tie the knot. You need to drop that, said Vicky. Your life may depend on it, shouted Paul. The man either couldn't hear them or nor the shouts of advice. Fumbling, he managed to tie the knot. Do you see the big rock to your right, Paul said, shouting over the wind and rain. Yes, shouted the man. Head for that rock. The man placed one foot on the rock and shifted his weight. He knelt over, putting his left hand on the rock with the bag held firmly under his right arm. His left foot on the boat, he began to make his move to the next rock and slipped. He grabbed the top of the rock and was now barely hanging on. Are you okay? Asked Paul. I'm okay. The rock is slick. Can you climb back up? I think so. The group that noticed the bag was attached to the man's wrist with handcuffs. Like an old monster movie, a man began to pull himself up and almost instantly fell into the water. Waves breaking over him. Guys, pull! Paul shouted. Three of them grabbed the rope and pulled with all their strength. The man drifted toward them, struggled to catch his breath between waves while holding onto the bag. The waves were powerful enough to rip his wrist in half as the bag drifted away. As he pulled a massive wave, swept the man into the wall, knocking him unconscious. This took all the tension out of the rope and caused them to fall background, backward onto the ground. They quickly began to their feet and began pulling again. They hoisted the man up the cliffside. This proved a job as the man weighed at least 220 pounds. After a moment, they pulled the man over the cliffside and onto the path. He had quite a lot of blood meshed up to his scalp, and his wrist was badly cut from the handcuffs. Vicky shined a light onto his head so Bob could examine the wound. On the back of his head, he found a one half inch gash. As the rain washed the blood away, Paul could see bone. We have to get him up to the house. You two take his feet, Paul said. And that's where we're going to pick up next time on next episode of Cozy Creative Podcast as we continue the story because I'm running out of time here. Ready? Next time, Cozy Creative Podcast will continue the story and I'll finish up the story. Yeah, pretty much that's it. Uh, have a good one. Uh, don't forget to use new Bigfoot code new Bigfoot at 16percentnation.com to get 10% off your order at 16percentnation.com. That's again new Bigfoot for 10% off. Thank you for watching. Uh, remember to subscribe, write, write, review, all that stuff on your favorite podcasting platforms. Um, find me on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, TikTok, all that. Love you. Bye. Have a good one.
special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.